You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here with Matt Hartwell, who just got back from Ann Arbor, Michigan, to see Bowling Green in Michigan under the lights, the new digital scoreboard set up, the new uh, strobe and colorful lights. Uh, what was that like, man? Was it a spectacle? It definitely was, man, uh, especially for Michigan fans who aren't, you know, used to that kind of stuff. It seems as though every college football stadium has uh, all the effects, all the cool ass light shows and the big house has been missing out on it. I got to say, I was a little uh, scared to begin the night that it may kind of uh, mimic like the effect that Rutgers does after uh, they score touchdowns and things like that with uh, the very like strobe like way that they do that. But it was not like that at all, man. Uh, Very subtle, not way over the top. Uh, with when they chose to do everything with that. So I was really happy with it, man. I uh, I thought that um, the times where they just chose to shut all the lights off completely and then uh, go with the blue ambiance was uh, probably my favorite portion of, uh, of what they did with that. But it was awesome, man. I, obviously, there's some things with the game that you and I will get into, but uh, a great experience overall, my friend. Well, I'm glad that they kept it classy. I mean, that's what you would expect from the leaders and the best. Uh, Michigan should not get too gimmicky with the the light show. And I think they did a great job. I think um, I watched the game on TV. It looked like it translated well. Uh, the version of Mr. Brightside with the lights, it looked really cool. It looked really Mr. special. Mr. Brightside, I will say, it uh, it brought a whole new energy to it uh, as far as nighttime atmosphere at the big house. Uh, it was it was really cool. I even put out a picture. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, it was just everybody holding their lights up at the same time. This one, this shot that I took didn't even involve the lights at all but just everybody holding their phones up uh it was a really cool atmosphere for mr Brightside this past saturday absolutely amazing we have a great show for our listeners we've got a lot to cover here but first let me remind everybody that the big house bleachers podcast is brought to you by fanatics fanatics is your one-stop shop for any michigan wolverine apparel or any college football or sports apparel for that matter. Um, If you're interested in getting some super dope Michigan swag for game day Saturdays, uh, head on into the description of the podcast. You'll see the Fanatics link there. Click on it. It'll take you right to the Michigan page, and you can get all the maize and blue merch that your little heart desires. But let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, What are your initial reactions from the Bowling Green game? I want to hear from you first. It was a strange game, man. I'm not going to lie. First half, a little bit of back and forth there. I did not care for the amount of turnovers. Uh, I'll just be the first one to say that I'm by no means ready to burn anyone at the stakes for uh, the way that this past Saturday's game transpired. Uh, It happens. People have bad games. 
got to do something about about those turnovers because there was a lot on Saturday. So definitely walking away from it with uh, some things to tighten up if you're Michigan. But still, nothing too different from what we've seen this past couple of weeks, barring the turnovers. Overall, Michigan dominated the game handedly. Um, They did everything that they could, honestly, to win that game by multiple scores. Hats off to uh, Scott Loeffler for doing his job, a former Michigan grad, by the way. So you knew that uh, he was going to be coming to the table with a great game plan, which he did. So hats off to him for that. They definitely had some things going their way with uh, going with the squib kicks and things like that. So they knew what they were doing and they gave Michigan some problems. And uh, like I said, overall, some things to tighten up from it, but still a multiple score victory for the Wolverines. Not time to hit the panic button right now. Yeah. You know, I I think about the game and I think, what were my major concerns other than the turnovers? And I can't think of anything. I, I genuinely can't think of like an alarming concern other than the turnovers. And so there were two guys that muffed punts, one of them, or kickoffs or punts, whatever. One of them uh, got turned over. The other one, the Braden McGregor one, did not get turned over, but was uh, hideous nonetheless. And so that doesn't look good, but it's something you can tighten up. It, it's not indicative of what we would expect to happen long-term this season. Um, and then you've got J.J. McCarthy's three interceptions. And so you got to ask yourself, uh, are you worried long-term about J.J. McCarthy's uh, accuracy and decision-making skills? And to me, the answer is no. Um, there is a little part of me that gets a little bit nervous, uh, especially about that third interception where it was like, dude, throw the ball away, you know, throw the ball away. That third one, it was just, it was so clear. He just, you know, just throw the ball away, live to see another down. Um, And so we don't want that to become something that he habitually does. But I think we've seen enough of J.J. McCarthy to see that he's not going to to be, you know, getting in trouble too often. I I don't think that's something we're going to see. And then the highlight of the, the game for me is, we had four turnovers. I mean, we had four turnovers and we still won 31 to six. I mean, that's a highlight. Uh, Michigan's defense is ranked number one in the country right now from a points per game perspective. Now, granted, we haven't really played anybody, but that's where you want to be is, is number one in the country. So if you can turn the ball over four times and give the other team momentum and field position and your defense still only gives up six points, I would say that's a positive, not a negative. You just got to make sure that the turnovers don't become contagious and carry into the Big Ten schedule, which I think with Harbaugh back, I don't think they will. So uh, let's hand out some player of the game uh, awards. And of course, we call that this guy right here. Let me cue the Harbaugh. This guy right here and this guy right here. So Matt, what is your, this or who is your, this guy right here for the Bowling Green game. Yeah, and shout out to Coach Sharon Moore for uh, handing out his very first this guy right here uh, to Blake Corum. That won't be my guy right here for this show, but uh, I'm going back to the defensive side of the ball, Mike. You touched a little bit on it. 
Those guys were a nuisance up front, man. I think my primary takeaway walking away from this game is that Michigan is carrying a an elite, elite defense into conference play. Uh, Jalen Harrell, I mean, what can you say? The guy either was a direct part in or had a direct hand in so many critical plays this past Saturday. The forced fumble, the... Uh, <clears throat> the pressure that uh, resulted in the Chris Jenkins interception, which almost resulted in a touchdown. It was all Jalen Harrell, man. Uh, when you go back and you watch the film, that guy was absolutely everywhere. Uh, very proud to see it as a huge Jalen Harrell fan myself. So my this guy right here is definitely going to uh, Jalen Harrell this week. This guy right here and this guy right here. Hell yeah, man. Well-deserved. And I'm so glad that you didn't pick my guy because I didn't even have a backup in my notes. I was like, I'm going to fight Matt for this guy. I'm going to pick him no matter what. Uh, you know, things were not looking great. It was one of those games that I, I never really thought we were at risk of losing, but it was just like, ah, we were struggling to get going. The turnovers were killing us. It was like 14 to 6, and we were like, please. Like, we just need a break. And that's when your guy... Uh, Jalen Harrell, or Harrell, however you want to say it, uh, pressured the quarterback, and my guy, the mutant Chris Johnson, got that epic interception and stumbled his way to the one-yard line. I thought it was funny after the game. I don't know if you heard, but uh, at the press conference, he said he was too fat to score, and then uh, Blake Corum chimed in and was like, well, I'm glad, <laughs> you know, because Corum got that one-yard score right after it so the mutant chris jenkins you are my this guy right here and this guy right here very fitting man and if i had to hand out another guy right here uh it would have to be chris jenkins if you were in the stands like i was during that moment when uh when he picked off that pass um i mean the whole stadium just erupted the top was ready to blow off that place it was just such a period of uh of just not dead silence, but just kind of like weirdness, you know, Michigan mm -hmm. wasn't dominating the game at that point, like everyone thought they would be. So Chris Jenkins just coming through in a pinch to uh, get the momentum fired back in the Wolverines way. Excellent pick, buddy. I'll tell you what, let's just keep it rolling. I'm wondering if there was anything in this game or in college football in general this week that had you just asking, what's the deal? Like, what is the deal? So, Matt, uh, what's the deal, man? Man, if uh, if I'm just taking it all the way back to uh, to really a negative side of, of this game, I got to repoint the finger at some of the play of the special teams. And it's really not one thing in particular that this special teams unit is falling short on on a week-to-week -week basis, but more or less just... Just one thing, like here and there every week. Uh, this week, you know, it was the uh, the muffed uh, punt returns by guys that just got caught not ready, you know, when the ball was headed their way. So, like I said, it's not really one thing in particular, but Coach Jay Harbaugh, what's the deal, man? Get your boys in order because we're getting ready to head into conference play and we can't be dropping kicks, you know what I mean? So let's just get that squared away and uh, and get ready to doing what Michigan knows 
what to do best, and that's special teams play. Come on, man. Just get the ball into Tyler Morris's hands. Tyler Morris has looked so good Thank when he had you. the ball in his hands. <clears throat> I know you're a big Tyler Morris champion. I assume we're going to hear from you on that a little later in the show. But I'll tell you what had me saying what's the deal. It wasn't a part of the game. Um, and I could have gone to like Colorado, Colorado State. There was a lot of what's the deal moments over there. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it Michigan related for our Michigan football fan base here on the, the BHB pod. Um, Michigan fans on Twitter, what is the deal? Like, what is the damn deal? Can you guys just not be happy for like one minute? Can y'all just not be happy? Like, you know, Michigan has not given up more than, you know, has not given up double digits in a game so far this season. We're giving best defense in the country. And not only that, but we've scored more than 30 points in every game. So is, is that what we expected? No. Did we want to blow, blow teams out 50, 60 points? Yeah, of course we did. I think most of us that follow Michigan would have assumed that we would have really run away with some of these games. And to me, I really thought that Bowling Green was going to be the game we were going to run away with. You, you know, uh, Sharon Moore coming into coach. Bowling Green was not really that talented of a team. Night game under the lights. It really felt like we were poised to have our first, like, kind of 60-point performance. Um, and we really could have, too, if you look at it. The four turnovers could have been 28, you know, 28 or so points. Um, so I, I feel and empathize what these Michigan fans are feeling when they come on Twitter and they're like, the sky is falling. This Michigan team's not very good. I saw a power ranking from a Michigan football fan on Twitter that had Michigan ranked at 14. What are you doing? What are you doing? You guys are emotional. You're, you're acting crazy. Uh, this team looks pretty much perfect in several phases of the game. And if you actually watch the game, you understand why they didn't run away with it in the fourth quarter. And when you watch these three games, there's a couple things that are a little concerning that we expect to get shirt up, but there is nothing to be panicking about. So Michigan fans on Twitter, what's the deal? Calm down. I love it. I love the call out. The Michigan fan base just needs to just simmer down just a little bit and let the boys cook. All right. The defense is looking elite. There's some things to iron out on offense, you know, but all in all, a pretty dominant showing this first uh, three games. And Jim Harbaugh said it best in today's presser. You know, he uh, he said something to the effect that he believes that there's been too much pressure uh, that's been put on these college athletes to win by a score of 100 to nothing. You know, that's how fan bases measure the success of uh, national contender college level teams. And it's just got to stop a little bit, you know, because it creates this uh, atmosphere of being, I found myself almost unable to, uh, to enjoy the game. You know, I had to kind of snap myself out of it on Saturday and kind of take a step back and realize, you know, Michigan's going to win this game comfortably uh, with some things to take away from it and they'll be better next week. So tighten up Michigan fans. Yeah. I've been following Michigan football long enough to remember a, a 13 to nine or something like that loss to Toledo. You know, it's like if, if you would have told me when I was watching the Rich Rod 
teams that I could take a 31 to six win. I would uh, take that in a heartbeat. So everybody just, just calm down. But, uh, you know, I, I really think the, the people that truly understand football, the people that know ball that are watching, um, you know, a lot of the guys we've had on the podcast, a lot of the guys from rivals and on three, you know, we, I don't see any of them talking like that. I think this is the more casual fans that don't really understand what they're looking at. And that's fine. They're allowed to have an opinion. But um, if you look at the AP poll voters, not a single voter in the AP poll voted Michigan lower than five. And so w- what that should tell you is that all these people that are watching all these games, and there's not even one hater that's like, yeah, Michigan should be you know, 10 or 12. It's like, no, everybody sees them as a top five team. It's just some people in our own fan base that are pushing the panic button because they place their expectations too high. Um, but anyway, we've given them enough air already. Let's move on to our agenda check-in. So you and I, we, we continue to put out shows uh, throughout the off season, right? It, we don't need football games to get on and talk about Michigan football and a lot of people have been following us throughout the offseason, and I'm sure many of them remember we've made predictions. We've been ride or die with certain players. We say a lot of things that float off into the ether, and uh, you know we might not ever revisit them. Well, we want to revisit some of those moments, and so this agenda check-in is, is really just to check in on some of the agendas that we were pushing on the offseason, some of the guys that we expected to see a lot from. Um, how are they doing? And so, Matt, you're going to give us three guys that you were like all in on that or, or just some, some agenda that you were all in on that's actually coming to fruition. And then we'll check in on three uh, that the jury's still out. We still haven't seen enough evidence to make a decision. So I tell you what, let's pass it back and forth. Let's just do one at a time and we'll go through all six. That sounds good, buddy. I'll kick things off uh, with my first one. And I'll keep it strictly to uh, to guys that we've already discussed so that I can get into some fresh meat here. But I'm going to stick with Jalen Harrell. Uh, I've been riding with him since uh, since last year. One of my guys, I uh, very impressed with his output so far this season, leading the team in sacks so far and poised to achieve my prediction of over eight and a half sacks this season. I remember uh, on our pod with Andy and Jared, you guys yeah. were pretty hard on me for for calling the boy out for uh, possibly achieving that number this uh, this season. But he's been efficient, man. He has been causing a ruckus, and he's on pace to beat that number. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if he's nearing or even surpasses uh, double digits. Who knows by the time the season's over with the way that he's playing. That's a great call out. I hope that your agenda comes true there because, you know, it's a win-win if, if he gets that many sacks. Um, I'm going to start with the obvious. I'm just going to state the obvious. Very few, or shall I say, nobody was as high on Roman Wilson as I was this offseason. I went so far as to say that I thought Roman Wilson would be a thousand-yard receiver. Well, he's not really on pace for a thousand. He's coming in a a little bit lower than that, but the essence of my statement was that Roman Wilson would become the clear-cut uh, wide receiver one, which if you guys remember, a few weeks ago, not many people were calling him the clear-cut number one. I think Cornelius Johnson 
was a more popular opinion there. Um, all he has done in the first three games is come out and caught six, count them, six touchdowns, wearing the, the iconic number one jersey at Michigan. So I would say that the agenda I've been pushing all offseason on Roman Wilson is, in fact, uh, coming to fruition thus far. He's got a little ways to go to get to 1,000 yards, so we're still the jury still might be out there, but the essence of what I was saying is 100% coming true. Roman Wilson is a stud. Still uh, very much up for grabs, your predictions for Roman Wilson, buddy. So uh, as, as uh, Andy and Jared said, you're like the uh, Warren Buffett of Roman Wilson stock. So kudos to you. I love it. Something else I love when we're both right, buddy. And uh, if you've checked out the most recent receiving numbers, my guy, Cornelius Johnson, is now leading the team in receiving yardage while Roman Wilson still continues to be JJ's uh, favorite target in terms of overall targets and touchdown receptions. Cornelius Johnson is still fulfilling the way that I uh, foresaw this, leading the team in receiving yards, caught an excellent touchdown pass uh, this past Saturday for his first one on the year. But uh, I love it. I predicted that he'd have somewhere around 900 or so yards by the time the season's over. And really, I even kind of uh, foresaw both Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson kind of coming close to that that yardage total together. So I'm very happy with how it's all playing out, buddy, and uh, very happy for your Roman Wilson agenda uh, so vividly coming to fruition as well. Well, and I got to give you credit in more ways than one because not only are you right on Cornelius Johnson, which, by the way, I was trying to look up receiving yards for Roman Wilson and rather than like look him up on the roster, I just looked up the stat leaders for Michigan because I was like, he'll be the leading receiver. And I, I pulled it up and it said Cornelius Johnson. And I, I like did a double take. I was like, wait, 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 what? Like Cornelius Johnson has more yards than Roman Wilson. And he does, in fact. So he is the leader. Uh, just barely, just barely. They're like neck and just neck. Barely. Um, but I got to give you credit because last week, I know our listeners will remember, uh, we made a bet. On the air. And I bet that Donovan Edwards or Colston Loveland would be the first uh, receiver of a touchdown uh, not named Roman Wilson. And you had Tyler Morris and Cornelius Johnson. And uh, with that spectacular grab, you win the bet, my friend. Luckily, we didn't put any real uh, capital investments on that bet, but I will give you my respect. Keeping it moving, my second agenda item that is coming to fruition is I I have not been alone in this one, so I'm not going to take credit for it. You've agreed with me. Every real Michigan fan has agreed with me. Uh, We've been tracking this on a week-by-week basis. If you guys want to see the the JJ touchdown record tracker, just go to my Twitter profile and look at the tweet that's pinned. I'll be tracking it all year long, but... um, you know, I, I said that J.J. was going to break the passing record. I was pretty outspoken about that. J.J. is currently on track to break the, the Michigan passing record, which is an embarrassing record to begin with. So 
uh, that agenda item seems to be happening. Absolutely. Uh, all of those things in very, very comfortable reach for all of our guys right now. You love to see it. Obviously, we're not saying that these things have definitely happened as of yet, but uh, still very much within reach and really very much on pace for all of these guys to reach these goals. So we'll continue to monitor that closely. Uh, I'm going to keep it going. We've already touched on Tyler Morris, so I won't dwell too much in my rightness of that. Uh, but I'm going to take it over to the offensive line. Pretty proud of this one. About a week before the season started, um, I had tweeted out my prediction for the starting lineup of the Michigan offensive line. And through three weeks, I mean, I'm right on the money, baby. We've got uh, Miles Hinton in there and Carson Barnhart as your tackles. Those guys have outsnapped everybody um, at the tackle position through three weeks. I don't know if uh, if what Ladarius Henderson or Trent A. Jones have done up to this point is sufficient enough to take either of those guys' spots, but uh, but so far my offensive line prediction has been steadfast. So I'm pretty impressed with that one. Well, I'm impressed too. And when you came out and made that comment initially, I told you you were wrong. I was like, I was like, I was like, no, it's going to be Ladarius Henderson. Like you're you're wrong. I don't I don't care what rumors are leaking out of camp. Like don't believe them. Ladarius Henderson came over to be the starting left tackle. Um, I'm just surprised that Ladarius Henderson hasn't been given more of an opportunity. Is hasn't them? That's been kind of weird, right? It's like we expected a little bit of like Michigan method. I almost thought that he would get the start in week two after he didn't get the start in week one, but no, they've been riding with Miles Hinton all the way, which of, of course he's the brother of uh, Michigan. I'm not going to say legend, but legendary playmaker. He made a legendary play uh, brother of Chris Hinton. Uh, so yeah, that Miles Hinton has beaten out Ladarius Henderson, um, Carson Barnhart. I, 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 that's what I thought anyway, but you were right as well there. So uh, kudos to you, buddy on the O-line prediction. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think it's more just attributed to the cohesion between uh, Hinton and Nugent, probably. You know, you've got both of those guys that already have a known rapport coming from Stanford over to a Michigan unit that also has a known rapport with uh, amongst guys like Zinter, Keegan, and Barnhart, uh, as well as Trente Jones. So, I mean, I think at at the um, bare skin and bones of all of this, it's really not a testament to whether or not Ladarius Henderson is or isn't good enough. I just think that there's a little bit better of a flow that Michigan is liking with uh, with what they have in Hinton and then obviously the experience of Barnhart. So maybe we'll, uh, we'll see him more. Trent A. Jones has definitely been like a sixth man for the O-line so far this year. So I think that unit is just very deep and they're uh, they're going to only get better as the season goes on. Yeah, not a lot of bad options there, right? Like it's almost like you could throw a dart and just be like, hey, that guy, go in, you know? There's not a lot of bad options there. So I will trust the coaching staff. I'll trust Harbaugh. I'll trust Sharon Moore. Um, my third guy uh, the, the, for the agenda that seems to be going right you got to look a little closer at this one. I, I don't think that the fan base and definitely not America has caught up to this yet. 
But if you look closely, I believe it's actually happening. And so I, I said multiple times in the offseason that Mike Sainra still would be an all-American caliber player. Not all-conference, an all-American caliber player. Um, let me just throw some stuff out there. So in order to be an all-American, you got to make big plays, right? Uh, he's made a few, but I, I, I have a feeling that the biggest plays are, are still in, in his future this season. But he came out and he got that first interception of the season, right? So right off the bat, there's a big-time play. Uh, PFF keeps a, a grade that they call tackler. It's like a tackling grade. And out of all of the guys that have played defensive snaps um, on, the, on Michigan's roster, Mike Sandristill is the number one graded tackler on the entire team. Not to mention, really good in pass protection, really good in pass rush situations. He's like the Swiss Army knife on this team. He's that nickelback that you love to have. So I believe that Mike Sandristill actually is having uh, an all-American caliber season. I just don't think America knows it yet. I love it. Uh, I thought at the very begin, I thought from the very beginning of this one that he was all over the place. Michigan really sticking to um, how they utilized him kind of at the beginning of last season, this season. So I've loved the various looks that they've been getting him involved in. Registered a sack this past game, so mm-hmm. uh, he's just infiltrating all areas of uh, of the opposing team's offenses. So you just love to see it. And uh, and kudos to you for for heavily touting that uh, that take in the offseason. Taking it over to the not-so-right side of things, just going to bite this bullet ahead of time. Although I think, nay, I am confident that this one will get better Donovan Edwards, I uh, yeah. I have been the highest on the hill of Donovan Edwards uh, all off season into the beginning of this season long, and uh, he just hasn't totally shown up yet. And I'm being a little bit patient with it because I'm aware of uh, of the kind of output that he had at the beginning of last year. Kind of took him a little bit to get going. So I'm giving him a little bit of a buffer there, but uh, man, I mean, I was talking about uh, possible like Heisman watch list for this guy. So uh, with the kind of weapon that he is and the kind of things that he usually brings to the table, uh, which I expected to be magnified by this point, but we just haven't seen it. So uh, I am wrong thus far on my agenda for Donovan Edwards, but optimistic for the future. Yeah, I mean, don't feel bad about that one. I think we all sort of saw Donovan Edwards as almost up to Blake Corum caliber. And a lot of us kind of thought it was going to be really a a 1A and 1B situation. I think that the coaching staff still sees it that way because when you look at like late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, when the second string guys start to come in, Donovan Edwards is not on the field. Right, they go to Khalil Mullings. They're handing the ball to other people, and so it's they're not playing him like a number two running back. And I think that's one of the reasons we haven't seen him break out in this non-conference schedule because they're they're working him in, they're throwing him the ball a couple times, they're handing it off a couple times. Then the game's out of reach, and they say Blake and Donovan, y'all are off. And it's like 
they're pulling them both off. And meanwhile, Blake is the only one that's gotten anything going. I don't think that is alarming about Donovan Edwards. I think actually what we're going to see later in the season, um, as early as next week when we start playing Big Ten games, is we're going to need Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards to grind it out for four quarters, and both of them are going to have opportunities to really have uh, breakout games. And um, so I would just say, yeah, I mean, yeah, you got it right. The jury's still out, right? It's not wrong, but the jury is still out. Um, I've got one that I'm going to bite the bullet on and I might just be flat out wrong about this one. So, uh, we've had our Tyler Morris and Darius Clemens discussions all off season. And I leaned towards Darius Clemens. I'm, I'm not really sure why. Uh, I just, I thought it was fun to oppose you. You jumped on the Tyler Morris bandwagon. I was like, you know what? The other sophomore Darius Clemens, I'll snag him. He's supposed to be pretty good like let's do this and um we've thrown him the ball you know he's been involved but it it doesn't it doesn't appear that he's going to be like a premier option i think i think his his like status on the let's call it the receiver depth chart like jj targets you're you're gonna have roman and cj then we'll say colston loveland probably then tyler morris Donovan Edwards, probably AJ Barner before Darius Clemens. So I, I'm going to go ahead and say that thus far, if you know, based on what we've seen, that this is not going to be the Darius Clemens breakout season. But I will just add to my prediction here and, and say he's going to have some moments, right? There's going to be some moments this season where we're like, wow, there he is. And so I'm still holding my breath to see that. But I don't think he's going to be a wide receiver three on this team. Yeah, let me tell you, man, by the time that guy is a senior, Darius Clemens is going to be a weapon on this team. <laughs> <laughs> Just I, I don't know, man. It's uh, he's he's kind of gotten the way of Andrell Anthony already at this point. Uh, I don't want to necessarily say that just yet because we you're right. We have thrown him the ball a little bit. And to my understanding, he has been dealing with something. So uh, the jury is still out on it a little bit, I would say. I won't bust your chops completely. Um, Also, a a train that everybody uh, likes to be a part of anyway, the Darius Clemens train. So don't beat yourself up. Well, and let me uh, interrupt you. Before you go to your next guy, let me just say I hate the Andrell Anthony comparison. I don't think he's anything like Andrell Anthony. Andrell Anthony had all the talent in the world showed it to us in the Michigan State game, and then for whatever reason, coaching staff or him or whatever, it was just non-existent for every single other game in his career. Darius Clemens is going to be a part of this offense this season, and he's really only had like a game and a half this season, right? Like he's been hurt. So he he had like what I would call a half game, and like maybe, you know, it's like not, he hasn't really had a chance. And so I wouldn't label him Andrell quite yet. I, I would pump, pump the brakes on that one, my friend. <laughs> I just can't do it, man. It's just shades of Andrell all over again. All right, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna keep it going. Uh, <laughs> and this is the hill that uh, that I've probably already died on at this point. Alex Orgy, my guy saw some game action 
yeah. this past Saturday. He was in there. Uh, I'm not going to say that that I'm wrong on this one, but I will say that it's telling that we've seen Jaden Denigal far more than Alex Orgy up to this point. And, um, and I just don't know, man. I don't know uh, what kind of plan the Michigan coaching staff has for Alex Orgy uh, right now. I don't know if he's even as good as uh, a lot of us in the Michigan online community think he is at this point. But uh, I do know that the guy got us a first down and uh, and I've seen him do some things in the spring game. So I hope that they continue to let that ride. But uh, I wasn't super happy to only see him in for like a play and a half on Saturday. And I haven't been like over the moon that uh, that Jaden Denigal appears to have passed him up on on the depth chart. Although the, the jury's out on if that's that's a good thing or not. He's done some good things so far, so we'll see. But uh it appears up to this point, I'm not right on the money with my Alex Orgy offseason takes yet. They really don't want Alex Orgy throwing the ball, do they? Like, <laughs> it's, it's very obvious, right? Like, they, they don't want that dude throwing the ball. Um, he must be throwing, like, hella interceptions in practice or something because they just really don't let him air it out. I mean, it's he's three games, be, dude, because that guy has wheels, man. Have you? Uh, uh, yeah, well, he's got a cannon, too. He's got of him just taking off like, yeah, he, I mean, he's got he's an, done some things. He's put some stuff on tape. They just got to let him cook a little bit. I think that it's just uh, Joe Milton trauma just echoing throughout the organization that's keeping him from throwing the ball. Because I remember him throwing a few strikes last year and thinking that it looked pretty good. Uh, so we'll see. I, I don't know in, in the conference schedule, even though Michigan could pull away in a lot of these games, Big Ten conference play is different. You don't really see third stringers in the game. you know. And so I don't know if we're going to see much of him uh, this season. So... Uh, but he's trending, you know. He's trending. If 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 anything, we saw we saw him a couple times this this last game. So it appears he's you know an option maybe. So we'll see. He picked up the first man. They they. I need to see more. I need to see more Michigan coaches. He looked staff. great. I mean, we were we were told that he might be returning kicks, right? Like get him back there. Let's see what he can do. Uh, all right. Speaking of returning kicks, uh, that actually has to do with my. Next agenda item that I was wrong about. Um, when we had the red shirt discussion about Benjamin Hall and Cole Cabana, I always said that I thought Cole Cabana would not red shirt, Benjamin Hall would. Um, and the reason why is I thought Cole Cabana was going to be a, a, a serious kick return option. Now he's been banged up, and so that might be part of the reason we haven't seen him. Uh, but it does not appear that Cole Cabana is going to have a meaningful role on this team. Maybe he will. They worked him in. He looked okay. He gained about six yards or so. They handed him the ball a couple times. So very similar to your Alex Orgy thing. It's like, well, we, we finally saw him, right? So maybe that means something. But I'm going to go ahead and just eat my words and say that Cole Cabana is probably not going to be the guy returning kicks for us this season. And that's totally fine. I think he'll be a stud for us in the future. I still... I still feel very highly about Cole Cabana. It's just probably not going to be this team, this roster, this year. 
And similarly to me with this uh, last pick that I've begrudgingly uh, put on my list for this terrible part of our segment here, um, I was very high on the tight ends offensive potential heading into this season. Not that it's not something that we're going to see or haven't seen yet. We have seen Colston Loveland make a couple nasty grabs uh, so far through a few games, uh, as well as A.J. Barner. So um, I'm not going to say that that it's by any means a problem or anything like that. But uh, this this tight end uh, room may not be one of the offensive uh, points that this offense uses to hammer home during the course of the season. It seems like they're like JJ is getting very comfortable with his connection with the wide receivers. Um, the Michigan tight end still very much heavily, heavily being utilized in the game plan. Um snap counts all down the locker room list down the depth chart for tight ends as far as marlon klein uh beatham you name it so there's still plenty of tight ends uh max bredesen getting in the game a lot but uh michigan just isn't throwing the ball to them a ton uh similarly to how uh, a lot of us would have hoped uh to start the season I know myself, uh, as well as some others, were posting a lot of clips of A.J. Barner, Colston Loveland tearing it up. But uh, it just seems that it's going to be kind of similar to uh, how it was last season, which, again, nothing wrong with it. But uh, it doesn't look like the tight end room is going to be like um, like any type of like ridiculous potential primary threat like we thought that they might possibly be. Well, I think you might be wrong about being wrong, if that makes any sense, because you're forgetting one thing. Daddy's home, right? Harbaugh has been freed. And, I, you know, n- nobody loves a, a good tight end like Jim Harbaugh. I mean, that guy loves <laughs> his tight ends. And so get that I big guy like- out there in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just line them up, sneak them out, sneak them out behind the zone coverage and throw them the ball. I, you know, I think that, I think we're going to see it be uh, Colston Loveland uh, specifically, but, but AJ Barner as well. Now, I don't think, I don't think we're going to see a ton of Hibner and some of those other obscure names that you just listed because you know all the tight ends on Michigan's team. But I, I do think that uh, it's, you know, I think it's going to be, one of the keys to this offensive attack. And I do think that Colston Loveland poses as much of a threat from the tight end position as any tight end in the country, except for Brock Bowers, right? Brock Bowers is a different animal. He he is the premier tight end in the country. But I do think that Colston Loveland could be uh, nipping at the heels. We just haven't seen it yet. So, so I'm going to cut you a break there. We're, uh, yet to be seen. Jury's still out there. And then here's one that I'm like kind of right about, but I've, I'm, jury's still out, is I've made some pretty wild predictions about Ernest Hausman in the offseason. I, I think I put him at 100 total tackles, which is like Junior Colson last year kind of numbers. I've compared Ernest Hausman to, uh, to Devin Bush multiple times, which is almost an irresponsible 
comparison, <laughs> right? <laughs> like it's that's not a that's not a name you just go throwing around in the Michigan community, but um we've seen flashes. We've seen a couple tackles. We he's played solid, he's been really good, but um we haven't seen him make that type of impact. And so jury's still out there. And I actually want to give you credit. And I'm actually surprised that you didn't pick one of the other linebackers as one of your agenda items that's seemingly going right. Uh, you've been uh, tooting the Michael Barrett horn loud and proud all offseason. And Michael Barrett is the man and continues to be the man and is making plays in the run game and in pass protection. Uh, so uh, props to you because Michael Barrett is still clearly uh, that other linebacker next to Junior Colson, and then Ernest Hausman just happens to be uh, the best uh, third tight end on any team in the country. I would I would go as far as to I'm sorry, not tight end uh, linebacker on any team in the country. Hausman's like the best number three guy out there, I think. Yeah, PFF, uh, as you know, I do a weekly PFF article for Maze and Brew, and uh, PFF not high on Hausman so far. Uh, he had a, a great game against East Carolina, but they've uh, marked him very low the last couple weeks. I, I haven't really seen anything uh, detrimental from him on film, maybe a couple missed assignments here and there. But I think the ceiling's still very high for Hausman, a young guy, you know, so mm-hmm. coming into a, a different situation with Michigan, I think that he'll get his sea legs. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Very happy with what I've seen from Mike Barrett so far. Um, also, same thing, though, a couple missed assignments here and there for Barrett. Not always perfect, but you love to see um see Barrett coming through, making good on his recent uh, uh, voting of being named captain. So I'm really happy he's having a big year and hope it continues for him. Yeah, so, you know, wrapping up that segment, I want to jump into one of our more fun segments. I purposely breezed over it early in the show because I knew we had some bad news to talk about. And before we get to the bad news, I just want to have some fun. So. It's time for Sheesh. And of course, people that follow us know that is our trademarked and, and uh, super infamous segment where we look at what this week in college football made us say. Sheesh. And Matt, I'll let you go first. I'm nervous that you're going to steal mine. And so if you do, we're just going to fight over it. But uh, what this week had you saying? Sheesh. I don't know if you will, because uh, I've gone with one of my guys. We've already talked about him a bit on this pod, but I'm giving it to Cornelius Chessmaster Johnson. Just (laughs) an elite level of focus on that catch, man. I just can't get over it. JJ, I love him to death. My guy was not throwing the ball well this past Saturday, and... uh, Oh, almost another costly play. That pass was underthrown, could have almost been picked off. Uh, Cornelius Johnson reaching back with that focus to bobble it back out in front of him, uh, made the guy drop, drop to the ground, secured the football on the bobble into the touchdown in a game where Michigan needed a few touchdowns uh, to make this one a comfortable victory. So my sheesh this week is definitely going to Cornelius. 
I laughed because when you said uh, Cornelius Chess Master Johnson, I thought you were going to say Cornelius Chestnut Johnson. And I was like, what in the actual hell kind of nickname is that? But now I'm always <laughs> going to think of him as Cornelius Chestnut Johnson. Um, and I tell you what, that actually was my sheesh. Uh, it, it was just the the most amazing jaw-dropping play of the game even with Chris Jenkins his amazing interception that Cornelius Johnson catch had you being just like like no oh yes oh you know like it was just one of those plays that yeah it's like why you watch football is to see plays like that um also it was fantastic to for his confidence to see him get uh in the end zone even though I'm not saying he needed a confidence booster it's just you know, a guy can only watch Roman Wilson score so many times before he's like, you know, let me let me get uh, into the end zone. And so um, I think that it was a, an amazing play. Uh, it was a it wasn't the best J.J. throw, but it, it also. You know, it's what you hope to see when when your quarterback throws up a ball, you want him to trust the receivers. And uh, Cornelius went up and made a play over an inferior opponent. And uh, it had me saying. Now, I, I did it. mention I did mention some bad news, and so I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off. This one kind of hurt. I'm not an alarmist when it comes to uh, recruiting, especially not during the season. Like, when I'm watching the actual football season, I've, I kind of put recruiting on the back burner. I'm just like, all right, like, anybody saying stuff about recruiting, just talk to me in the offseason. But I, I've written some stories on these guys. I was really excited about them. They were a package deal. Um, the Smith twins who are both, you know, playing on the defensive line, defensive edge, kind of front seven area. Uh, I was so excited to get these guys to Ann Arbor and about a couple of weeks ago, some rumors leaked out that they had been toying with Kentucky and some crystal balls came out. And I, I still thought that we had a chance to keep them in Michigan and nope. Uh, this last week, the news broke that the Smith twins actually did flip to Kentucky. Um, I'm sure they're getting some kind of money up front that Michigan wasn't willing to offer. They're sure as hell not getting wins that Michigan was able to offer. And so, uh, you know, I wish them the best. They're young men. I'm not going to talk shit about young high school football players. That's not what we do on our podcast. We're, we're respectful of these guys, but, uh, it, it hurt, you know, we, I wanted to see them. So you know, Smith twins, if you're listening, which I'm 100% certain you are not, um, hey, come on back to Ann Arbor, man. Flip back. We want you. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This one was unfor an unfortunate slow rip of the Band-Aid. This one was because he had the information leak out uh, like like a month ago, almost. I yeah. think it was maybe even beyond that. So uh, that information leaked out. Everybody, all the rival fans had their fun with it for like uh, a solid week. And uh, and then things settled down and uh, and then they still ended up leaving a whole a whole uh, almost month after those rumors leaked out. So really just a, a shitty experience for Michigan fans. But um, plenty of great things still happening with Michigan's recruiting class. Jordan Marshall getting a lot of love uh, from recruiting sites. So find a little bit of comfort in knowing that uh, Jaden Davis and Jordan Marshall and Brady Prescorn and a whole shit ton 
of talented future Michigan players will be here soon. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to a running back and quarterback uh, combination, you couldn't ask for a better start to the season uh, than Jaden Davis and Jordan Marshall. I mean, those guys are killing it. I don't know what Jaden Davis is going to have to do to get five-star ratings across the board, but I, I think that they're coming. I think sometimes these sites don't update fast enough, but uh, Jordan Marshall could, in fact, end up being the number one running back in the country with the way he looks. Um, but yeah, so that was a bummer. The other bad news that we at least want to mention, it's not basketball season yet, so we're, we haven't been spending a lot of time on on basketball on the show, uh, but but many people know you and I are big uh, basket, Michigan basketball supporters. We will talk about basketball when it's time. Uh, but our, our fearless leader, head coach, Jawan Howard, um, had a, a heart procedure done. He had heart surgery, and it looks like, you know, I've seen some different numbers, but six to possibly up to 12 weeks, uh, he could be away from the team. And so Phil Martelli is the interim head coach. We're in good hands with Phil Martelli, but it is a bummer because I felt like, and a lot of people probably don't feel this way. I actually felt like the basketball team had a little bit of momentum coming into next season when they got the Olivier uh, Kamwa, you know, when, when he committed, because that was like that little, that little extra guy that we really needed to fill in and uh, Trey Jackson and Doug McDaniels coming back. Like I felt like this team was scrappy and could actually come in and, and do some things. And I'm not saying I don't feel that way. I'm just saying like, it would have been nice to have our, our head coach in practice for the next six to 12 weeks, which is going to be the most important time, like ramping up into the season. So, uh, most importantly though, is not basketball. The most important thing here is that Jawan Howard, uh, fully recovers and that he's safe and continues, continues to be the role model husband and father that, that we know that he is. And so prayers for, for Jawan. Absolutely. Um, you know, my mom had a, a heart issue where she had to undergo open heart surgery. So always a scary situation whenever you're uh, you're going under the knife for anything involving anything, but especially the heart. So prayers for a speedy recovery for uh, Juwan and uh, thankful to know that um, everything went well with the surgery. So hopefully he uh, gets some rest and comes back to the team rejuvenated and in good health and spirits. Yeah, rumor has it he's been in the gym practicing his drop step and dunk. So we'll we'll see how he's doing. No, I'm just kidding. He's <laughs> but the fact that the fact that there's uh you know already news coming out where he's like grateful that the you know that he had the Michigan um st you know health staff and everything. It seems like everything went well. It doesn't seem like they're still uh, concerned. And so I, I think at this point, it's just a prototypical recovery for him. So of course we wish him the best, um, on to the college football landscape. Let's start with the big 10 conference. Uh, any games that you saw this last week that, uh, piqued your interest or your curiosity? Um, I'd have to say, you know, this past week was a relatively uneventful week in college football. I thought pretty much the same thing. That was that was kind of the narrative that was going around. I thought the same thing upon checking out most of the games. I uh, did take some interest in Penn State's, um, I won't call it struggles with Illinois, but kind of similar to uh, to what we saw 
with Bowling Green, Illinois not proving to be especially great this year. So it was interesting to see Penn State uh, have their hands full with them for a little while. Um, Iowa, how about Iowa scoring 41 points? Uh, I found uh, offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz's comments uh, especially entertaining today. Wasn't expecting that out of him, but what what uh, did he say? I, I saw the clip, but I didn't I didn't click on it. What did he say? He uh, was taking a jab at the reporters for having their fun with uh, the twenty five points per game thing, but now they just dropped forty one. So it would be great if all of them could grab their step stools and climb out of his ass for a little while. Yeah, yeah, uh, pretty yeah. much his exact words. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love that. Um, yeah, we didn't learn a whole lot other than this conference kind of sucks. Uh, and I'm a big Big Ten supporter and fan. The three teams at the top are very much the teams to look out for, the same teams that we knew coming into the season, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Those are your teams to look out for. They're all in the East Division for this one last year where we still have divisions. Um, but man, I'm, I'm looking across the board at some of these teams, a lot of them that Michigan plays, uh, Michigan state got manhandled by Washington. I mean, you know, so they lose their coach, they lose their hope there. Uh, Washington put up 700 and something yards on them. It was the most yards Michigan state has ever given up in a game. If I heard that correctly. So, uh, Michigan State is not in a good place. Uh, Nebraska's not good, but they finally got a win against Northern Illinois. Um, other teams that Michigan has on the schedule, Minnesota got worked by North Carolina. Minnesota, you know, that's a team that can always put up a fight, but it's just not too scary having to play them. Uh, Indiana's not good. Northwestern's not good. The one team other than Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State to possibly watch out for is the team that we're playing this weekend. And I was that, just about and, to say that. And, and, and that's, that's really uh, what sticks out to me. The spread right now is 24 points. That's a big number. I, 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 I was actually surprised that it wasn't somewhere closer to like 15 or so because uh, Rutgers looks pretty good. They've They've beaten uh, Virginia Tech. That's an ACC opponent, and they beat them handily. Uh, they handled Northwestern, so another Big Ten opponent. Opponent. None of these teams are very good, but you know they put up thirty-five on Virginia Tech. I, to me, that's a team to watch out for, and we we know that Rut, Rutgers and Greg Schiano is just pesky. So, uh, you know, any nerves heading into this game? It is. It's. It is. It does seem like this is the one to kind of kind of look out for, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm definitely not going too off the rails with it, but just because we've seen Rutgers, it feels like time and time again, breeze through their non-conference schedule, enter conference play with like a 4-0 record, you know, they're no stranger to doing things like that under Greg Schiano. So I'm not trying to like get too off the rails with, with hyping them or anything, but when you really look at them and look at how they've dominated their first three opponents, two of those opponents are Northwestern and Virginia Tech, you know? So it's not like uh, that's like Colorado State and Hawaii, you know what I right. mean? It's, right. Those are like 
decent opponents to begin the season. So I would say there's a little bit more emphasis on watching out for Rutgers this year. And when all the dust settles and everything is said and done, Rutgers may be like the fifth or sixth best team that Michigan plays this year. So uh, yeah. definitely, they're definitely no slouch this year. So uh, I think that Gavin Wimsat brings just enough uh, managerial experience from the quarterback position to get them by. The real test is going to be that running back of theirs. His name escapes me, but uh, he's been putting up some gaudy numbers so far through three games, mm. over 350 yards five touchdowns or something on the season. So this Rutgers team likes to run the ball and they do it well so far. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. It's like Monaghy or Monon guy or something That's like right, that. Yeah. He, I think he was the big 10 offensive player of the week last week. So, um, you know, I have faith that Michigan can shut down a running back though. And, and, you know, I, I initially got a little bit, I wouldn't say nervous, but just like, I, you know, Rutgers has caught my attention and I don't think, I don't think that people are taking them seriously, probably because of the name on the on the uniform. You know, if it was like Wisconsin or something and they put up exactly the same amount of, of points against the exact same opponents, I think I think this line would look different. I think people would be uh, talking about the game differently, but Rutgers doesn't get the respect. Uh, but I do think Shiano is building a decent program over there in New Jersey. But then I remembered... If you're going to win a national championship, like you got to beat Rutgers, right? Like and, and so it's like it's like if we do go out there and fall flat against Rutgers, we just don't deserve it. You know, we just don't deserve it. So, it do, should they be taken seriously? Yes. Um is this a game to worry about? Well, no, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, right? If Michigan is the Michigan that we believe they are, you shouldn't worry about this game. And so um, I'm hoping they put together four solid quarters. We see uh, kind of like we talked about Blake and Donovan into the fourth quarter, and then hopefully the game's put away and we can uh, rest some guys and get some other action. And so let me just quickly, before we move on, uh, look at Michigan's schedule. I don't think we're going to know what we have until week 10 because we we thought, we already knew that that's when the schedule got tough, but now... You look at some of these trap games that we thought were trap games, they don't even look that scary anymore. So you got Rutgers at Nebraska and at Minnesota. I think pre preseason you were looking at those games like, ah, oh, one of those might be tough. You know, Nebraska and Minnesota are not intimidating at all right now. Those are games we should be able to go win. Indiana, I mean, coming Indiana coming to the big house, that's that's never Indiana interests me. Because Ohio State played them is really what interests me most most about that matchup, just to see how Michigan handles the Hoosiers and if the Hoosiers are really anything this year, uh, or Bro, if they're State not. Just they're or not. If Ohio State is just really bad and competed really closely with a really bad team. So no, I'll be Indiana. interested to see how Michigan matches up with how that Hoosier team of this year plays football. But other than that, I mean, you're completely right. Minnesota, Nebraska, Purdue. I mean, these are teams that instill no fear in me 
whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, I think Michigan rolls all of those opponents uh, before the second half even begins. So it really has me looking more closely at this matchup with Rutgers as thinking at the very minimum, it's probably it, it has the potential to be maybe like a fifth or sixth best team that they play this year, which you're right. If they if they can't get over that hump, they just don't deserve it. But uh, I think that uh, we'll see a slightly different brand of football from the Wolverines with good old Jim Harbaugh back this week. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think Rutgers might be the toughest team we play until Penn State. Yeah, because we didn't even bring up Michigan State in there. I mean, like when we're looking at the schedule, Michigan State that doesn't look scary. I mean, we know that game's weird, though. We're going to East Lansing. Like, I never trust anything about that game. But but still, I mean, it it just really doesn't look like they'll be able to put up a fight. So um, I will be talking to... Uh, Aaron Brighton or Brightman from uh, the Scarlet Faithful. Uh, I apologize. I might have just gotten his name wrong. Just met the gentleman, but I'll be doing my behind enemy lines segment with him this week. So I'm excited to share that as well. I'll probably release it on the BHB pod as well as a special episode. So that'll preview the Rutgers game for our, for our listeners. And then let's just wrap it up by looking at the national landscape a little bit, man. Um, I, I, I tell you what, everybody's talking about it. We might as well, too. Colorado and Colorado State. What did you think, man? Dion brought, bought the whole team sunglasses, went into the, you know, the Colorado State rivalry game. He was favored to win by a bunch. Uh, ended up looking like the worst team. Um, pulled it out in double overtime. Colorado's 3-0. and are you, are you a fan of this Dion movement or not? Well, I think Dion took that Colorado State head coach and shoved him right in a locker is what I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, I mean, it's, you have to admit, it's a little bit impressive. It's a little bit scary because Bryce Underwood is uh, is right now under the gaze of Dion Sanders. So uh, feeling a little iffy about that, but you just can't help but talk about the Buffalo, man. They're just owning college football, one of uh, one of its most interesting stories these days. So I'm not hating. I uh, I think that it's cool that they uh, they were projected to win four games and they're already getting ready to eclipse that. So I'm yeah. a big fan of uh, of an underdog story. I know that Travis Hunter, I hear, is going to be out for a few weeks. So I'm interested to see how his squad uh, adjusts to that. But uh, yeah, very interesting. What about? Uh, oh, I'll let you speak on on Colorado first. What are your thoughts? Did you hear the the reason that uh, Travis Hunter is out? Did you hear the what the injury is? A lacerated liver is. is what that right? in the world? He has a <laughs> lacerated liver. That sounds uh, that sounds pretty dangerous, man. Like definitely take your time uh, before you come back, buddy. Uh, but that that leads me to believe that Oregon is. Is gonna. I mean, they have to destroy these guys, right? Like, I, I look at the spread and it's like 20, 21 points, and I, I'm thinking like, Oregon's got to cover that spread. But, but then I, I, like, I'm not gonna bet that game because I can't trust anything about Colorado. They might come out and find a way to win for all we know. So, I, I, I don't know. I, I, at times, Dion's a bit much. You know, he's a bit much. 
but I'm not one of these haters. I'm not one of these guys that's like, oh, he shouldn't be doing this and he's disrespectful and he's all swagged out. It's like, come on, man. We come from we come from the Fab Five, Jalen Rose and C Webb, you know, Jimmy King, Ray Jackson, Jawan Howard. Like, I'm not out here uh old man bitching about uh, Deion Sanders. That's not that's not what we're made of, you know? And so uh go get yours, Dion. It's fun, it's exciting. I'm glad I mean, everybody's talking about it. Ever affected anybody? You know what I mean? Just let him be. Let him do his thing. I've got no no qualms with anything that Col- that Colorado is doing. I mean, do your thing, man. Prove these guys wrong. Well, I do. I, I don't want to give you a history lesson here, but there was a gentleman by the name of Cordell Stewart that broke our hearts in the early '90s. But that was back when Colorado was relevant. So I. I hear you. Colorado isn't doing shit. Um, any other teams you want to touch on? I mean, uh, it's hard to find a team with that hasn't looked weak at some point in the season. The one team that sticks out to me that I keep coming back to is Washington. Washington hasn't really stumbled yet, but every other team I look at has kind of struggled. I've got a stumbler for you. What's that? I've got a stumbler. It goes by the name of old Joe Milton, and legend has it that he can throw <laughs> a football clean over them mountains. Oh, yeah. But not far enough for them Florida Gators, buddy. <laughs> yeah, the Gators got him. And then there was, of course, uh, I'm, I know you saw it because you got family members that follow this closely, but the, I mean, they were squaring up and. Uh, throwing punches and stuff at the end of that game. Did you see that? It got wild for a minute there. I didn't, but uh, I know that's always a uh, a very raucous environment. Uh, my in-laws tell me about it all the time. Uh, so I was delighted to uh, to see them come away with that victory. I don't uh, I don't give my Gator family any shit about uh, about their current standing in college football or anything like that i support them in their uh their efforts as of this point so i was happy to see them get that win uh especially happy just being that it was over joe milton let me just clarify i've got no beef with joe milton or anyone that's transferred away from the university of michigan but i mean it's football you know what i mean like I'm going to like poke a little bit of fun at some guys when the time is right. And now is definitely a right time to poke fun at Joe Milton. So, right. uh, uh it, chop, chop, go Gators. <laughs> it's nothing against the guy. It's, uh, but I, I feel the same way you do where it's like all of us, Michigan fans, we, we suffered through the like, Oh, he's the next cam Newton. And then we saw him play and we're like, Oh God, uh, we were wrong about that. And then, this season, everybody's like, oh, his measurables and his arm strength. And, and, and all of us Michigan fans were like, uh, guys, like we, we yeah, you know, hang, hang on. Like we've, we've seen this guy before. We know, we know what's, you know, so it's like, we've, I feel vindicated that that's kind of what's coming out here, but um, nothing against Joe Milton. I actually wish him the best. It's just, it's kind of, he is who we thought he was. And so. Uh, Matt, that's a great show. I'm I'm so glad you made it back safe from Ann Arbor. Uh, let let everybody know where they can follow you. Absolutely, buddy. Happy to be back. They can find me on my primary Twitter handle at Maze Crusader or any of the great content that me and my team are putting out at Maze and Brew. 
or uh, their website, which is mazenbrew.com. Mike, where can people find you, buddy? Man, hop on Twitter uh, at Wolverine Cron. Also, my website, wolverinechronicle.com, or uh, look up Wolverine Chronicle on YouTube. Uh, also, guys, if you made it this far in the pod, go ahead and make sure you're subscribed. Uh, it helps us when you subscribe. It also helps you because then you don't miss any episodes or any Michigan football or basketball content. Uh, it's a great day to be a Michigan Wolverine. We're undefeated. Uh, our last, or actually our first conference game coming up next week against Rutgers. We'll be back next week to talk about that. For my buddy Matt Hartwell, I'm Mike Smeltzer. As always, go blue. Go blue.